Good morning. It's a great privilege for me to be here this morning and sharing with, with you what God is doing. Uh, this morning, um, we were having breakfast, and two of the kids, the children, I wouldn't say children because they have children now themselves, um, but uh, Jessica and Rika, they said, well, we grew up with two dads. One was white and the other was black. I also bring you greetings from uh, my family and also the, my team in India. Uh, they remember because uh, Pastor Tim has been there a couple of times. Um, his family has been there and some of the members from uh, this church have been there. So uh, an open invitation for all of you to come and visit us and see what God is doing. But uh, India is not an easy place. Uh, India has the history of uh, more than 200 years of foreign mission work in India. And the area where we are located, that's the birthplace of Hinduism, Buddhism, and every ism that you can think about, the yoga and other things, they all comes from there. It's like when Satan was kicked out from heaven, the place he fell down is called Varanasi because everything comes out from there. The Hindu believe that, uh, according to Hinduism, there are 8.3 million life cycles. So you go through this rebirth of cycle, but if you die in Varanasi and you're cremated in Varanasi and your ashes are thrown in the Ganges, you will break that cycle of karma and you disappear. You achieve nirvana. And a lot of people, a lot of Indians who live here, uh, they believe that and they do their own desire is that when they die, they are cremated here, their, their ashes are taken to India and um, dispersed, thrown in the Ganges. Uh, such belief and such uh, practice, not the religion that you, you uh, belong to, but it's everything that you are, you do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Uh, they are very hostile because when it comes to Christ, because the Christ, Christianity uh, is a challenge uh, towards everything that they believe. It's the caste system, uh, the way that you treat other human beings, uh, the way that you, you, you think that the people don't, they are nothing if they are born in a, in a low caste. Uh, Hinduism teaches that widow, orphans, and people who are handicapped, they are no people. They are suffering because of they are cursed. And if I come any closer to them, I will be infected by their curse. And my own life, my own uh, progress in life uh, will be disturbed. Such blind belief, such um, uh, deceitfulness that exists there. So Christ brings a challenge and deliverance and redemption. Uh, so there, there have been many times where there have been the power encounters. Uh, I say you, you um, don't see the, the devil here because he looks like one of us. He is in three-piece suit. But when you come to India, you will see him naked. And uh, manifestations are very strong. And the area where I work, where I started work, uh, I was pastoring a church, uh, as some of you may know, and uh, I took a leave in uh, 1992. I, I took a leave uh, for two years, not knowing what God was doing because I was so burdened. 
that the organization that I was working with, they had worked for 80 years, and all they had seen was 2,000 people come to Christ. And I thought, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable because in these 80 years, millions of people died, and they are lost forever, ever hearing the gospel. So what can we do? How can we bring the gospel? Because they are rejecting the gospel. They are, they are hostile towards the gospel. They have been hostile toward the missionaries. And um, how can we, we uh, share the gospel? Um, and I honestly telling you, I had no idea. And by, re- by taking two years leave from my church, that really put me in a very awkward position because everyone said, hey, uh, you've gone crazy. Uh, nobody leaves your jo- uh, job like this. Uh, if you want to do anything, do it inside the church. And inside the church, I had found for 15 years that the only concern they had, the deep concern, what color the wall should be painted, what kind of toilet should be made. The, the chairs are not comfortable to sit. And, and the messages are sometimes is just weird. We, you know, it's all about feel good. Uh, I'm talking about India, not here. Um, so, well, just to clarify myself, so I'm not in trouble uh, after the church. Um, yet, uh, believing the impossible, believing God, that God has a purpose and God will do something great, um, in spite of all the negatives that I'm hearing, uh, I believed. And guess what? For two years, nothing happened. Three, third year, nothing happened. And I said, I begin to kind of doubt. I said, well, maybe what people are saying, have been saying, uh, are true, you know. Uh, but again, it was faith against faith. It was hope against hope. Um, continually believing that God sent his son into the world for a purpose. And his desire is no one should uh, Paris, but everyone should have eternal life. How can that be possible? How can this dream of Abraham that when God blessed him and said, there will be multitude, uh, you know, and John's dream, when he sees the multitude standing before the throne, um, you know, I am like felt like I'm standing in between two dreams. And God had chosen us uh, because the very fact that I'm a believer, that I got saved, that God redeemed me, that God gave me this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, through Jesus Christ, that I can call God my Abba Father. I have accountability. I'm accountable to God. I have a responsibility, and God wants something from my life. But in the midst of dryness and the area, it was known as the graveyard of mission because many mission and missionaries have died in that area. And yet, God began to work after three years of complete uh, hopelessness, dryness. And um, we first time ever in 200 years, we saw 80 people baptized, you know. And so we, we kind of looked at the scripture. We said, where is the problem? The problem was, we were not doing things right. We were not really applying the scripture. What Jesus' would desire was that um, 
he wanted disciples to be obedience, obedience-based discipleship. And we had got it all wrong. We were bringing people to the church, and then we were baptizing them, and then we were discipling them. But what Jesus said, well, go and make disciples, the people who do not know who Jesus Christ is. And by becoming their friends, intentionally start to share. So looking at your love and devotion, people will start to believe and follow and want to be like you. And from not knowing Christ to falling in love with Christ and deciding to follow Christ is a journey. And that's where God was calling. And when it is done by 10 times, 10 people, 10 times, it's not just 10 times, it's more than 100 times. <laughs> you know, so this multiplies. And so we used, it was very slow in the beginning because in the 90s, the big thing was all this big campaign and big, 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 big healing campaigns and everything was happening in India. So people said, this is a, such a slow way of working, it's not going to work. And yet, God began to work. So we started an organization in 1994 called ASSI. We focus on four areas because right in the beginning, we focus on pioneer evangelism. We said we'll go to the places where Christ is not proclaimed. We'll make disciples who will make disciples who will make more disciples who will make more disciples. We'll start churches that will start churches that will be pregnant from the very day of inception. Not elephant-sized churches, but rabbit churches. You know, rabbits multiply how many times? <laughs> right? Elephant gives birth to one baby. If it's a female baby, the pregnancy lasts for 18 months. If it's a male, 24 months. And it gives one baby. We said we will focus on the rabbit-sized churches. Um, we will start leaders who will multiply themselves, not just become fat and rich and big, but they will reproduce themselves. And God began to work. So we, we focused on multiplication of leaders, training of leaders. We redefine leadership. What is leadership? Because it was not hierarchical, but every person who believed in Christ, who followed Christ, can, can act as a leader in leading people into truth, into righteousness. And um, then we said, well, we will also define, we also defined ourselves. We will focus on access ministry, accessing the community. How do we build the bridge with the community? So we will do anything. So we started with children ministry, uh, rescuing children. Today, we are, we are one of the best in, in that part of the world where government has awarded us, government accepts us, government works with us. So we, have, we are rescuing from uh, uh, human traffickers. Uh, we are rescuing small children, children who run away from their home, children who are uh, abandoned by their parents, and we are trying to rehab them and then restore them if it's possible. Um, we have also, government has given us license for adopt adoption. So we get about three months old, one month old, three days old, one week old babies. Sometimes they come in a shoebox because they have been left to die somewhere. And we have to kind of work on rescuing them, reviving them, give them life. So we have now children going to U.S., going to uh, Canada, uh, uh, Spain, 
and uh, other places. And these people who come for adoption become our friend. They become, they have, they would probably have rejected the gospel when they come to us, they hear the gospel. And they are in relationship and they begin to worship who Jesus Christ is. Because they say that is no one else can look after the kids as you do. And they are so happy. So we do the children ministry. We have schools. So we have over 800 children uh, who would otherwise will not be uh, have the opportunity to go through the schools. Uh, we work with women. Um, we have a lot of programs for women, and, uh, empowering women, making them uh, earning members, contributing members of the family, society. And that has given us a tremendous access into the Muslim community. And we have seen now this year uh, at least 20 Muslim uh, imams come to Christ. Um, they are worshiping Jesus. They were trained as imams, as priests in the Islamic temple, Islamic mosque, but now they are worshiping Jesus. You know, So God is doing something uh, wonderful. And the fourth is we believe that we are not the final answer from God. So what do we do? From day one, wherever we go, we start the ministry in northern India, we look for a stakeholder. Because we know the sustainability of work comes from local ownership. So we always collaborate, we, we work together with others, and the result is that in less than 20 years, more than 20 million people have come to Jesus Christ. We have started over... 200,000 house churches. Now, I know the typical American question will be, how do you control? My answer is we don't. <laughs> because I'm not the bishop. And uh, I don't intend to be the bishop. So, these churches are, are locally managed. They are in groups of uh, council. So, for accountability, for management, for propagation uh, of the gospel, they work through their own network of relationship. As you may have heard, there's a lot of persecution in India right now. Pastors, this year we had one, uh, 1,500 pastors uh, beaten and arrested just this year alone. Last year, the government canceled the li licenses of over 12,000 Christian organizations in India. And one of them that you would probably know is Compassion International. They were kicked out of India. So there is a lot of restrictions coming. There's a lot of uh, persecution, beating up, and things like that are happening. But I'm like a garbage, uh, you know, trash collector. I'm looking for something in the midst of persecution. I'm looking for opportunity because I know everything that we see and everything that we hear, God is working behind those, those things. There are people, there are lives. They are so precious that Jesus had died for them. And uh, so continue to pray for India. God is doing something great in the midst of all that persecution. And your church have been involved in this work. I think you, when you get to heaven, you probably will going to be very surprised uh, that you prayed for people. Probably never imagined that these people will be in heaven. You know, so uh, the work is not done yet. Uh, we, um, even though our, the book has come out and I'm telling you about 20 million people come to Christ, uh, it sounds all good, but the problem is that 80% of the 
the people have not heard the gospel. So my next target is we are targeting 100 million people in next 2025. Now you say you are incredible. I'm not. Jesus, Bible says what is impossible for man is possible for God. Right? And about vision, I always say, if people don't laugh at your vision, then it's not from God. So do you now believe that 100 million can come? 20 years ago, if I would have said 100 baptism, everyone would have laughed and said, in North India, I would have said, this is impossible. It cannot happen. Today, what is happening in India is just my team, guys that I'm connected with, that they're working with us. We are baptizing over 300 people every day. Every day. So all across North India where we are working, this is the work that we are doing has spilled over to almost all over North India, which is, which is about 450 million people. So we are aiming at 30% of the population to come to Christ in next 5 to 10 years. And that is the target. So India has a population of 1.34 billion people. So 30% of that, if they come to Christ, will make a great impact in the world. Amen? So continue to pray and work. And I won't take, I was given about 30 minutes. So I'll just quickly um, share a couple of thoughts uh, regarding mission and um, regarding coming from my work. Um, and again, I will invite you to come and visit us. Uh, young people, you're welcome to come and work as volunteers. We have a lot of volunteers coming from uh, other countries, from U.S. We have uh, one guy staying for one year now in India um, from Cincinnati. So uh, that's there. There are two girls coming from college uh, through a mission organization. So we have regular people coming. We just had a volunteer from Denmark. Uh, she left. So come and work with us, with children, with education, with teaching English. We started, we work with the urban areas where uh, focusing the, the youth. You know, India has India's population. 65% of India's population are under the age of 30. So India for next 20 years is going to remain as the youngest nation in the world. So we are focusing through computer training, skill development, through uh, spoken English um, and other courses. So come and join and uh, work for a month, two months, three months, whatever allows you. Uh, and I would like to see from this church come and uh, represent in India and be witness. Okay, the three truths I want to leave with you today. Um, this should be cemented in our life. This should, doesn't matter where you are, where you go, uh, where you live, how you live. Um, but the three truths should always be in your life. The first one, and I would like you to raise one finger, saying, first one. <laughs> because I want you to remember this. The first one is, God does not change. Okay? No matter what happens from the creation, God has never changed. He remains the same. And Bible, Hebrew 13 and 8 talks about Jesus Christ 
yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. Right? Nothing changes. God, not, our circumstances, our government, whatever we, we, we go through the changes in our life, our family, our education, our financial situation, but God does not change. He remains the same. When I say God does not change, it means that God's character never changes. And God's promises never changes. He's the same. What he promised you the day you accepted him, the way you were baptized, the way you stood, and you felt the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you felt something was happening in your heart, in your life, and he made a promise to you. Somebody wrote a Bible verse, maybe God spoke to you a Bible verse, and you underline it, you've forgotten now. But God has not forgotten you. Bible says God remembers you from the time you were created in the in mother's womb. He knows you. He knows you how you are, who you are. People say to me, he said, oh, you have, you are a different person. You have a great faith. I said, I don't have a faith. Not even an iota of faith. You know, because my life goes through faith and doubt. This parallel. Now you will be surprised. You thought I was a man of God, right? <laughs> One morning I get up and I, I, I'm doubting my own salvation. Another morning I get up and I'm so excited. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That goes through in our life. But it's not that I have a great faith in God, but God has a great faith in me. Amen? God never changes. Numbers uh, 23, 19 talks about that God is not a human. He's not going to lie to you, right? He cannot change his mind. Malachi 3.6, it talks about, I, the Lord, do not change. That's what God says, you know. So whatever God has promised you, his love will not change. His promises will not change just because you have changed. God's love is not conditioned by my act. We are given to, we are taught some way, you know, when we were younger in the 70s and the 60s, it, everything was going to, you don't look like a Christian, you don't behave like a Christian, you don't, you know, I mean, all these kind of things. You can't listen to music, you can't dance, you can't do this, you can't do that, because God will be angry. No. He's slow to anger. <laughs> Why? Because his desire is none should perish. Some people say, I don't think God will do this. I say, what? God is in your pocket. How do you know? Or what do you know? We don't even know an iota about God. We just know a little what God has revealed to us through Jesus Christ. There is plenty to know. So God never changes. Even if you're in prison, I know people who sit in prison. I've met them. I've gone there. People have sacrificed, have lost everything. But they have one thing in their life. They continue to believe. They know in their heart that God does not change. Okay? Second, um, two. Okay? Two. God's mission does not change. And what is God's mission? That Jesus Christ. God's mission is not what your church does, but is Jesus Christ. He never changed. He has called us into his mission. Church is the byproduct 
of mission. Mission is not the byproduct of church. We are here, those 200,000 churches I said, this is the byproduct of mission. Because someone obeyed, somebody went, somebody took the risk, in spite of all the persecution, a threat, somebody is willing to take the name of Jesus. Right? So, church can create denomination, but mission creates church. And mission has one purpose, that one day everything will be brought to completeness in Jesus Christ. He is bringing everything to fulfillment uh, because everything is connected with Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter where we are from, where we come, God's purpose is to bring all things under Him. Colossians 1, 15 and 20. 15 to 20. Um, from the call of Abraham to, to the dream of, of John in Revelation. That vision of Alpha and Omega, everything is, is proposed to bring everything together in Christ Jesus. We are complete in Him. That's what Paul writes. And um, thirdly, three things. God's strategy remains the same. And that is you and me. God has chosen to work through us, not through the angels, but through us. Amen? Sometimes it makes me wonder that a sinful man like me, right, us, who have so much of shortcomings and failures and weaknesses, and sometimes I feel I can't go on, right? How many of you feel like that? Oh, everyone. We feel like that, and yet, here's the truth that remains forever. God has decided from the very beginning that he will work through us. We are God's strategy. And that's why we need to realize that, understand this, and, and get involved. Acts 4.13, you remember? Where people, when they, they saw disciples preaching, they said, aren't these guys ordinary guys? They're fishermen, right? But then they, were, they marveled. They, they, um, they were amazed that how these ordinary people had become extraordinary people. So you may think about yourself that you are an ordinary person, yet God has some other plan for your life. He wants you to equip you and use you for something that your mind cannot imagine. Maybe you, you were brought up with, in a family where your father or mother told you, you are useless. You can do nothing. Maybe someone told you that you cannot do nothing right. Right? That's what my father said to me too. I was brought up from very young, and my father said, you are good for two things. You are no good, and you are good for nothing. <laughs> right? And then I, I accepted Jesus, 
and met the heavenly father and he said, hey, I got to work for you. <laughs> you trust me? <laughs> you know, I had struggle in my life to ask this question again and again. God, do you really trust me? And today I can stand here and say, hey, it's not my faith, but it's God's faith in me. Right? I'm here with a book. I'm here with a message. I'm here with a, you know, something. People are saying that what God has done in last 25 years in India and continues to do is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Nothing ha like this has ever happened in the history. Now, I'm, when I hear this, I'm kind of humbled. I said, is it true? And I have lots of, today what I'm doing, the principles from India is gone into 50 different countries. Here in the U.S., there are several churches, they're focusing on discipleship. They're saying there's no other way than to focus on discipleship. There is a church in, in Texas. They, are, they met me about 14, uh, 14 years ago, and they said in the next 10 years, we want to see 10,000 people come to Christ. And what happened? 14,000 people came to Christ in 10 years. So now they're dreaming of 1 million people in next 10 years. Now, is it possible? And one day the pastor called me. I was in India and said, Victor, you got to help me. I said, don't count me, brother. You got to depend on Jesus. Right? Human voice becomes God's voice. Paul writes to, Tim, uh, to Corinthians and he says, when we speak as though God speaks through us. Do you realize that? That God can speak through you. Right? God wants to transform you. God wants to change you because you are part of God's strategy. Your voice, which has maybe rude voice, rough voice, tough voice, God can use in changing lives, motivating lives, encouraging lives, transforming families and communities through your voice. Do you believe that God can do that? Yes. Some voice, human voice that I heard that changed my life and continue to change me. So God is all is, is able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly. No one can dictate what God can do through you. No one can stop him from what God can do through you. I'd like to close this message what like Paul writes to Corinthians. He says, not many of you were wise, right, by human standard. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. Yet God chose us. So God, come on. Get going. God has a work for you. God wants to do something. Don't waste your time. 
But you've got to walk the walk of loneliness. You've got to overcome your emotions. Because sometimes our emotions are our God. We worship our emotions. We are not able to sacrifice. We may sacrifice our hamburger for God. But we are not ready to sacrifice our emotions. We feel hurt. We feel jealous. We feel touched. We feel offended. Got to get over it. Get a life. <laughs> so, three things. Three things. What? Number one, God never changes. He remains the same, right? Number two, God's mission never changes, and that's Jesus Christ. God, Jesus in us is the hope of glory. Amen? Third, God's strategy never changes. And we are, I am, his strategy. Say that with me. Make a confession. I am his strategy. God bless you. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day.